it just caught you off guard, right? You're chatting with a friend and the conversation gets tense. And before you know it, she's just called you out on something. Now suddenly, you feel a need to defend yourself. A natural response. But here's the thing. This has happened before. And get this, it's going to happen again. Over the course of a friendship, we're likely called out about various things. So we may as well learn how to manage these situations when they happen. So on today's episode, I'm going to hit you with four strategies on what to say and do the next time it happens to you, because it will. You're tuned in to Give It A Rest, the podcast, where we're giving tough love truths for the sisterhood. I'm your host, Danielle Byer Jackson, certified friendship expert and author of the book, Give It A Rest, The Case for Tough Love Friendships. And when it comes to misunderstandings and complications within our female friendships, I am here to help you through it. I should have known it was coming because the small talk felt especially superficial. I was on the phone with my friend Andrea, and we were talking about everything and nothing. When she slowed her pace and began to talk to me about a photo she had noticed on Facebook. It was a photo I posted that showed me leading a big presentation. And she said to me, so I noticed that you're wearing those pants again. And I said, Yeah, but a part of me thought that perhaps she was setting me up for a joke because it felt so random, and soon I realized she wasn't joking at all. Andrea said to me, well, it's just that, you know, ever since you had the baby, you know, you're wearing those pants a lot, like to everything, and I know that when you used to give presentations, you were dressed like really sharp and really nice. You used to be like, so fly girl. So I just, I don't know. I just didn't know, you know, what the deal was with kind of how you were starting to dress. I wish I could tell you the rest of the conversation, but I think I blacked out in anger before she could finish. Steam flew out of my ears as I launched into a defensive tirade. I was saying everything about how I am professional. It doesn't matter what I wear. What are you saying that I'm not attractive anymore? Well, my body has changed, so I don't have to dress up. And if people are focused on what I'm wearing, then they're not focused on the material anyway. What do you think? People aren't going to take me seriously unless I'm dressed up in a dress and heels. It was fiery. Soon my friend Andrea began to backpedal, apologize, and say, Yes, you look nice. I'm sorry. I don't know what I was talking about. You look fine. But it's then that I softened, my armor cracked, and I had to be honest with her and myself. At the time, my son was six months old. I was a new mom, and I was scrambling to balance being a mom and also starting a business. Since the baby, I had put more of my energy into nurturing him and less on grooming myself. And because of the way my body changed and my hair had thinned after pregnancy, tending to myself felt both useless and incredibly painful. A reminder of how my appearance wasn't what I'd like it to be. And because I was in such a funk, I had resorted to wearing the same pair of jeans. Everywhere. 
I was also reaching for blouses that drowned me and I'd tuck them into my jeans, strategically masking a spit-up stain or a breast milk stain. I wish I was kidding. My hair was disheveled, my shoes were scuffed, my hands were in desperate need of lotion, but with a clingy six-month-old who literally screamed bloody murder any time I tried to leave the room, there was little time to iron or moisturize. I had been called out about something I was especially sensitive to, and I didn't know what to say or how to feel. But that call-out really woke me up and stirred up all kinds of fiery emotions. Once I was able to step back from things, I realized the courage that it took for my friend to call me out. It's likely that all my other friends noticed that I wasn't taking care of myself and that I wasn't presenting myself to the world as my best self, that I was scrambling and I looked like it. And even though things were stressful behind the scenes, people could see it as soon as I walked out of my front door. So she took the time to tell me something to help me no matter how embarrassed she thought it might make me, and she tried her best to do it in her most gentle way, but no matter how she delivered it, at its core, it was still a call out. And I had to realize who it was coming from and that she loved me, and then it was my choice in how I decided to respond. And whether it's about your appearance, your attitude, or white privilege, you are all We are all going to be called out about things that we don't know how to process. Negative feedback isn't going anywhere, so we might as well learn how to manage it. I would like to offer four options for you to consider the next time you are called out by a friend. The first is this. You don't have to respond right away. That is such a simple truth, but can I tell you from experience It is ridiculously liberating to lean into that. It is a natural tendency to have somebody call you out on something that you've said or that you've done and to feel, you know, to have a physiological response, right? Your heart begins racing, you know, maybe your hands get sweaty because you're so embarrassed or you're so worked up. And the first thing we want to do is snap back and say something back, right? Defend ourselves, our honor, really, ultimately, But what if I told you, you don't have to say anything? What if I told you that it's okay to say, wow, well, I didn't know you felt that way. And I got to be honest, I need some time to process that. It's a mature response. It actually buys you time to process what you just heard. And it kind of let it lets everyone off the hook because instead of having a conversation when tensions are high it allows you to revisit it once you've really allowed your emotions to process once you've really allowed your thoughts to kind of dance around before you kind of organize them and settle in on the ones that you believe to be most true and most productive so tip number one for managing your call out is to allow yourself time to process And verbalize that to the person calling you out. The second tip for managing a call out is to look at feedback as data. Now, I got to be honest, I feel uh, like I'm not even qualified to tell you that because it's something that I struggle with sometimes myself. I'm only human, right? But instead of accepting or digesting it with such an emotional lens, try to turn on your logic 
brain, your system's brain, and view that feedback as data or information. Because it's hard when emotions are involved, but if we train ourselves to accept it as information that's helpful to us on our constant journey towards self-improvement, then you're able to receive it a little better. So give yourself grace and take off the pressure of having to agree with it or not or respond positively or not. What if you accepted it with a certain neutrality of just, hmm, that is information. I'm going to download it and I'll use that as I form my response and adapt my behavior accordingly. Almost like a computer. I mean, I hate to be robotic about it, but I wonder how that would affect your conversation if you begin to view feedback as data, information that you get to work with. The third tip I'd like to offer you in managing negative feedback or a call out is to measure the feedback against patterns. So are other people saying the same thing to you? People in your family, your friends, people at work. If you're starting to notice a theme in the call out, then maybe it's something you need to spend some time on because it might be valid. The next tip I'd like to give you in managing feedback is to remember that listening is not the same as agreeing. It's possible that you get called out for something and when you really think about it, you disagree with what the person has shared with you. Now, let me pause here for a second and say, okay, If somebody's presenting you with something that's rooted in fact or history or knowledge, then you might want to spend some time grappling with that. Um, That's different than somebody giving you an opinion on your character or behavior or choice or something like that. And you really spending time to try to objectively digest it and assess it and say, no, I actually don't agree with what that person said. It's okay. It's okay to not agree. It's okay to say like, you know, I don't know that I agree with that. And then maybe tie it back to the first tip I gave, which is, and then ask for time to process it. So you get a choice to accept or reject. And hopefully that empowers you instead of making you feel like you have to take on what anybody says to you. Okay. Obviously exercise discernment, exercise some wisdom, but it might be freeing to know you don't have to agree right now. And let me throw this at you. You might agree in six months or a year. You don't know. You may see some more things, hear some more things, get some more data, and slowly have your mind renewed. And that is a good thing. That is a good thing. Okay? So, oh, let me, I said four tips, but let me give you a fifth one. The last one would be to examine the intentions of the person giving it to you. If the person who is calling you out is somebody who loves you and when you factually stack up all your memories together and they're all relatively positive and you know this person has the best intentions for you, then there might be some truth to it. There might be no need to defend yourself because even though what they're saying might strike a nerve and might be a little painful, they love you. So if you know that this person means you no harm, and they're rooting for you, and you're their girl, it might be worth kind of spending some time chewing on what they're saying 
and examining it from a lens of love and appreciation. So that's always something to keep in mind as well. It's never easy, but as soon as we learn to better manage being called out, we can salvage our friendships and not have them dissolve due to a lack of proper response. We can see these as opportunities for self-improvement, and we can bounce back quicker and be less disturbed by having our ego bruised or being embarrassed. So with all those benefits at stake, it's best for us to figure out a way to manage being called out so that we can move forward, salvage our friendships, and be the best version of ourselves that we can be. today's episode was helpful for you, I'd love for you to come tell me about it over on the Facebook group called the Give It A Rest Podcast After Party. You can also hear me run my mouth and give other unsolicited advice regarding your friendships on Instagram at Danielle Byer Jackson, formerly at Girl Give It A Rest. So now I have switched my handle and would love to see you over there. And as always, you can listen to more episodes and read some of our research-based articles over at giveitarestmovement.com. I can't wait to see you over there. There are five common stereotypes about female friendships. And as much as a lot of us like to think that we're beyond adopting different stereotypes and thinking for ourselves, the truth is that a lot of us allow those stereotypes to subconsciously play a role in how we choose to speak to and interact with our friends. Because while a lot of the stereotypes are perpetuated by men, women as well use those stereotypes and how they choose to relate to one another. So I'm going to outline five for you very briefly, because in my conversation with Kayleen, in just a few moments, you'll hear us touch on a few of those stereotypes and how they tend to get in the way of us simply enjoying each other's company. The first stereotype is this, that in friendships, there is a lot of jealousy, either among each other or jealousy of one girl who leaves the group. But either way, there's this thought that jealousy is almost like an additional character in the room who's got a heavy hand on the friendships. The truth is this. When it comes to being jealous of your friend going and making other friends, uh, linguist Deborah Tannen, who is one of my favorites, she does a lot of research with women in linguistics and our words. And she says that one of the things that bonds us right away as women is words and secret sharing. So if I confide in you, I share something with you and you listen, I feel connected to you. So my thought is this, the reason why sometimes we get jealous of a woman running off with other friends or entering another friend group is because it's likely that we've had these uh, platonic intimate experiences with her. And so the idea of her being able to duplicate that experience with somebody else makes us feel like we are therefore irrelevant or that we are not as unique as we thought or that our friendship is not as special. So that idea of exclusivity and feeling jealous that she goes elsewhere, it makes sense as to where it comes from. But we have to remind ourselves when we are experiencing that, that there's no way you can possibly duplicate what it is two people have. And they might go somewhere else and get a supplemental relationship that rounds out their overall you know, experience. But you can't be duplicated. Your bond, 
your experience in relationship is completely unique. In terms of being jealous of each other, well, that kind of goes into our second stereotype, which is competition among women. My thought here is this, because there's quote unquote, no room at the table for women to really shine in a man's world, we operate with that belief. So if we see another woman who either mirrors what it is we do and who we are, and she has a style like us or something like that, we sometimes feel threatened because there's only room for one of us. So if it's not me, then it's going to be her. And that makes me uncomfortable. Okay. So when it comes to our friend groups, is there only room for one girl to be the pretty one and the mom and the funny one? Almost as if we're characters in this very like commercialized group. Okay. There's room for two of you to be the funny one. There's room for two of you to be the mom in the group. There should be no competition. So if you have found yourself operating with the belief that there's only room for one and therefore I'm threatened by this other girl who's presenting what I thought was my unique identity, but now here she is with the same thing and I'm threatened by that, there's not just room for one. There's room for everyone as cheesy and you know fundamental as that sounds some of us have totally lost touch with that truth okay you also hear sometimes that competition comes out of just mere insecurity so oftentimes it's either that the woman who you are jealous of or feeling competitive with has something you have as well and you feel like she's impeding on what's supposed to be your unique identity and your unique contribution to the group or she has something that you you wish you had as well. She shines in a way that you wish you could shine as well. And therefore, we see her as our competition. Okay? If your friend group has a dynamic in such a way where there really is room for one or something like that, that kind of might point or indicate some... Um, you know, toxicity there um, because there should be room for everybody to thrive and who they are and constant reassurances and affirmations within the group that we're so glad that you're all here. Okay, if that's not the tone, then yes, there's, there's some lack there. Okay, the third common stereotypes about female friendships is that it's dramatic and it's always got some kind of issue going on and therefore women will often say, I'm not like other girls. I'm a guy's girl. I'm not like other girls. Okay. So if you're listening, raise your hand if you've ever been guilty of saying that. I'm raising my hand. That was totally me freshman year of college before I wisened up. Right. Why do we say this? Because like I said before, we have adopted the stereotypes about women. So if we believe that they're dramatic they are catty. They're not to be trusted. They're competitive. They're passive aggressive. They're mean girls. If we believe that about our own selves, we feel a need to dissociate ourselves from the group by letting people know I'm not like them. But the thing is, honey, in some ways you are and that's okay. And who necessarily said that those things that are stereotypes are bad things? Okay, because we're also very loyal and supportive and understanding of each other and we rally around each other and there's like this intuitive bond those are those are positive things as well okay so if you found yourself being the guy's girl and ugh, I don't deal with women I would say one I would outline all the stereotypes you believe about just women in general because I think it points to a discomfort maybe within 
yourself. And two, I would encourage you, if you can, to try to go back and pinpoint negative experiences you've had with women in your past because you're allowing that to drive your experiences with them in the future. And here why that's here's why that's especially here's why that is especially dangerous. Get this. Research tells us that while men have great positive effects when it comes to marriage. So it has a positive impact on their health and their social and emotional state to be married to women, to have wives. It has a great impact, but for women, it doesn't have as great of an impact. Okay, I'm married. I appreciate my husband, but the research tells us that that range of impact is not as high for women. In fact, research tells us that when it comes to dictating our happiness, that our female friendships have more weight than being married. The reason I stress that is because we so often put off women as like, oh gosh, I don't want to deal with the drama, okay? And while I you know, certainly have a lot of male friendships I appreciate, there's nothing like being friends with another woman, okay? And that kind of takes us to our fourth neg- uh, negative stereotype, which is that friendships should come second to male partnership. So the stereotype of like friends being um, optional, supplementary and the great romance that you seek your entire life should be the number one priority but think about the example i just gave of the research telling us that actually female friendships have a greater impact on our happiness okay now the reason why this stereotype probably thrives is because think about all the things in our culture that praise and applaud when you get married, when you get engaged. We have these huge networks and businesses surrounding, celebrating you, quote unquote, finding that one. But what networks do we have to celebrate getting new friends? Or not necessarily getting new friends, but keeping friends, nurturing them, reaching milestones in your friendships together. It's almost as if we expect, well, of course you should have friends. Or do you some kind of freak with no friends? Of course you should have friends. I'm not praising you for that. But oh gosh, when you find the one, congratulations. Okay? The reason why this is so destructive is because we tend to spend our lives looking for the one and therefore sometimes neglecting our friendships or having friendships. But once we meet the one, allowing those friendships to fall by the wayside. So something to keep in mind. And finally, a very common stereotype about female friendship is the idea of the passive-aggressive relationships. Now, where does this stereotype come from? This one in particular comes from our social norms and values. Think about it. If you see a woman flip out and when she's upset, she shouts at everybody and says, I'm so angry. And when somebody ticks her off, she walks right up to them and she's like, let me tell you about how you pissed me off. Well, to men, that is unattractive. And to women, it's certainly unfeminine to be raging like that. So if our culture has no room and no tolerance for over expressions of anger or disappointment or discomfort or dissatisfaction, Well, then we better repress that, right? Because we don't want to turn men off and we don't want to seem unladylike or unfeminine to our female counterparts. 
So we experience aggression just like everyone else, but culturally it's not acceptable to express it in a direct way. So what do we do? Well, that doesn't mean that our dissatisfaction goes away just because we're not opening our mouths to say it. It's still there, but it bubbles out in those little biting comments, those little sarcastic remarks, those little things we do like, I'm, I'm mad at her, so I'm not going to answer the phone. I'm not going to communicate. Or I will communicate, but I'll be, you know, uh, just with the one words, one word answers. And hopefully from that, she can read my subtext and understand that I'm upset. All of that is poor communication and passive aggressive behavior. But I will acknowledge the fact that our culture has made it so that that's the preferred way to go. It's just that that is certainly very damaging to our friendships. So is it at play a lot in a lot of our female relationships? Absolutely. But that is the reason why. We also have a great fear of confrontation. Um, And in my book, Give It a Rest to the Case for Tough Love Friendships, I spent a couple chapters outlining all the reasons we tend to avoid tough conversations, right? We don't want to turn our friends off, especially when friends are so hard to come by in the first place, right? If um, expressing dissatisfaction is unladylike, then we certainly don't want to fall into that. And then It's got the competing idea of the stereotype of the mean girl. So if I do express my dissatisfaction, am I going to be labeled as being mean or disloyal or unsupportive? So I better just kind of sit on it and hopefully things go away. Okay, so there are many sociological, neurological reasons why we hesitate to be direct. But unfortunately, the consequence of that is passive aggression. Okay, so these are five common stereotypes about female friendships. And the reason I thought it was important to take time to outline all of them is because a lot of them are at play in our friendships without our knowledge. We're either allowing them to keep us from cultivating really rich friendships or they're keeping us from enjoying the ones that we already have. So I encourage you to spend some time with that and to think about whether or not you have been guilty of adopting any of these mentalities. Now, I'd love to play you uh, the conversation that I had with Miss Kayleen Schaefer, who is so amazing. And we touch on stereotypes, among other things. But I thought it was so cool to have the opportunity to bring to you another friendship enthusiast, author, um, and woman who writes really great pieces about... Okay, that's unrambling. Drama drama, drama. Female friendships are full of nothing but drama. Or so you've been taught. Today, I'm outlining the five most common stereotypes about female friendship. Where do they come from? And what is the real truth? Sometimes we don't even realize how adopting these mentalities and believing these stereotypes play a direct role in how we choose to interact with each other. So it's worth taking some time to unpack. After I outline these stereotypes, I'm going to play for you my interview with Kayleen Schaefer. She's a journalist whose work has appeared in everything from the New York Times to Vanity Fair to Vogue. And she's also the author of the amazing book, Text Me When You Get Home. So be sure to stay tuned after I outline these stereotypes because you're not going to want to miss this conversation. Let's get into it.